Good morning, church. You know, I think Mark and his team are a gift. Each Sunday morning when we gather, I think Willie Chapantier and Mark Howard are a gift as they invite us into important news and have us prayerfully consider it. I think that you all are a gift as you lift up the Lord, a sweet aroma to the Lord. I thought about Mark and his team and how purposeful they are, purposeful in what they sing, what they share with us, what they lead us in every Sunday morning. And I noticed a little bit more emphasis today. Did you notice it? Maybe it's because Mark and his team recognized that I was preaching (laughs) and said, Lord Jesus, come. I felt an urgency revealed today. And honestly, I was praying that as well. (laughs) Oh, there's no better way than to put ourselves aside as we sit in the pew every Sunday morning and pray, Lord, do not let me be distracted today by the lack of eloquence of speech, the improper delivery of the message. But let me stay grounded in hearing your word and let it be the light. Letting Jesus be my motivation. Let me leave this place hungrier for you than when I was coming in. Let me be filled with your spirit Come, Spirit, come. I couldn't think of a better way to, I really meant that, by the way. That is a discipline I have to put myself through every single week. Because it's easy to pick. It's easy to critique. It's easy to do all these things. It is difficult for me to sometimes stay focused on that which is most important. So I want to start by considering two things this morning, right from the word. And it is God speaking through his prophet, Isaiah. In Isaiah 55, listen to this. Isaiah proclaims, as God reveals it to him, his sovereignty. Let's start this morning as we study God's word by recognizing that the power is in Jesus. The power of this message is of God. And listen to the second part of what Isaiah has to say, and that is the operational glory of his word, how it moves when we let it manifest itself within us. So powerful. Isaiah 55, 9 through 11. As the heavens are higher than the earth, God says, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it, 
without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Listen to this, and let's pray this as a church. So is my word, God's word, that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. Lord, we pray that we would be in a posture to receive what it is you're speaking into our individual, personal lives. Your message is personal. We pray that we would be in a posture of humility to receive that well. And Lord, I pray that I would be in a posture of humility to deliver it in such a way that despite my words, your spirit moves apparently and the power and the glory of your word celebrates itself in our lives as we consume it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We can go to slide one. I can't see which slides are up, but we'll go to slide one. There you go. Well, there's a book I have to acknowledge today. I don't want to plagiarize or anything of that nature, so I'm going to take a lot of concepts from this book. Several months ago, a friend of mine recommended I read this book called Kingdom Come by Reggie McNeil. I don't know if any of you have read it. She felt that I would enjoy it. I would find it enjoyable, and I did. After finishing the book, I can say without reservation, it was an enjoyable read, but it was more than that. This book was inspirational, and it was insightful, as it caused me to consider a broader perspective of God's work and his calling of us into it to join him and partner with him. But rather than just kind of report out on the book and give you the primary themes, I'll touch on many of them today because I think they're important. In fact, I think they're material significant. Material is significant. Especially as we as a body step back for a second and have to take this patient approach to crafting a mission. Not one that we put up on the shelf, can recite, share on our website, but one that we listen for the very breath of God to breathe into. And that can be a very patient and persevering experience as we craft a vision of what that mission looks like to live it out. Because at the end of the day, isn't that what it's about? Living out that mission. And as we prepare all of that for this next season, as we begin a search for a new pulpit minister. But I want to share with you today, before I go through some of these themes, a very practical and personal experience that God invited me into, me personally, into as I read this book. And here's what I would ask you to do. Invite yourself into this. As I share a very personal and practical experience, my prayer is you will examine your own experiences, that you will find God at work in a much broader perspective than you had considered before. As I read the book, I reflected on my faith walk. Forgot I had that on. I needed to shave too, apparently. And in retrospect, I found myself with this deep sense of gratitude for a people that in my life had a broader perspective of God's work and lived it out in such a way that it would affect my spiritual walk 
for the rest of my life. Let me give you a little bit of a story to get us started. And consider your own if you would. I remember as a boy, my brother and I, you've heard this before if you've been here long enough. I'll share an excerpt with you. I won't go in detail about this. But my brother and I are very close to each other, still are today. And I remember being in the backyard of our home in Warren, Michigan, a suburb of Detroit, about 20 miles north, 25 miles north of Detroit. And I remember being in that backyard, very large backyard. I remember looking across the school yard that was adjacent to our backyard. And I remember seeing a church just beyond that schoolyard. And I remember one thing about that church. It was alive. Something was always going on at that church. Whether it was basketball, whether it was this potluck with a lot of food that we could even smell sometimes if the wind was just blowing in the right way. Whatever it was, it was very active. And I remember thinking to myself, it would sure be nice to experience that talking to my brother about that often. Each year, a yellow and brown bus would come bouncing, it seemed, down the street. And it was from that church. In fact, they had seven of them. This is called a joy bus ministry. You might remember that if you're older. And I remember that that bus bouncing, literally, from people singing and laughing and just rejoicing. And I thought, what is this about? We got to get on that bus, Dave. He said, you're right, we do. Let's ask mom. So we asked mom, can we jump on that bus next year? When they come around during that special week during the summer, I now know as vacation Bible school, I'd like to be on that bus. That's the seat I want to occupy. That's what I want to experience. To our surprise, mom said, sure, I think that would be a great experience. So off we went on that little brown and yellow bouncing bus during that week, arriving at the building to experience any variety of activities, including, of course, memorizing scripture. And I recalled this. I recalled a couple, Carl and Minnie McClellan, that noticed two boys that had been there all week and had been there alone. And I remember Carl and Minnie not only recognizing those two boys but embracing us, celebrating our accomplishments of the week with us, praying over us, something I'd never had done before, and inviting us to come back every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. You see, they had a broader perspective. They didn't have the church activities lens. They had a broader lens that allowed them to see these two boys. I recalled the congregants in that little brown brick building. And I remember the agape love that I experienced 
as the hands and feet of that body reached into my brother and I. Some years later, as I was serving as a deacon there, I remember the elders of that church with a broader perspective than just their local church coming to two of us that now lived about 30 miles north of Warren in growing communities as people moved out and commissioning us to go out and plant a church. A church of Christ? Hadn't been planted in the metropolitan Detroit area in over 50 years. That was strange. But they had a vision. They had a vision. And they saw a need much broader than what was just in front of them. I recalled the small group of 10 believers that originally met in a basement of one of the leaders' homes as we started this new church plant. I remember the Konania the community, this deep sense of belonging that we had for each other, where no need went unattended or unnoticed. We were so deeply intertwined in each other's lives. Not because of a building, we didn't have one. Because we had a broader perspective of the need in that community. First our own, and then that around us. I recall men like David Fleer, who actually preached at our church plant when we, along with others, when we could not afford a preacher. We had graduated to a school because there was no room left in the basement. We were growing, but we couldn't afford a preacher. And there were men like David that filled in because they saw a far greater purpose of kingdom. And then I recalled moving here to Middle Tennessee, totally, totally unanticipated. And what I found here is God is not a God of boundaries. Because the ministry need in Middle Tennessee, this foreign place, to me at least, was as great as it was in Detroit, Michigan. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. All right, I have to issue a warning. Is that okay? If I do a disclaimer, who's legal in here? Tim Street. This is going to be ugly, trust me. You can redline it later, and we'll go through many different iterations, and we'll get there eventually. Here's the warning I want to give you. I am not saying the church is unimportant. Please don't hear that today. If that's all you walk away with, if that's all you walk away with, I have not done a good job. Lord, I beg you, I beg you, to posture each person here today in a way that they would receive this message for what it's intended to be, and that is a broader perspective, an eye-opening perspective over the work that God's doing around us and in us. I'm not saying the church is unimportant. In fact, Paul says, in Ephesians at least he implies it, that it's the very bride of Christ. Huh, it's very important. But what I am gonna share with you today is a little bit about what Reggie had to say in his book. And what I've come to understand through my own personal and practical experiences, and that is, while the church is important, it wasn't the only thing we're supposed to focus on.
It is a means to a far greater end. I believe that. So what better place to start when we're talking about kingdom than the Lord's Prayer? From the NIV version, I'm going to read from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. I want you to listen to this carefully. We're going to revisit it later as well. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, I've read that prayer hundreds of times and I'm certain that you have as well. You know what happens when we encounter the familiar? We miss the opportunity to consume it in its fullness. This is an important prayer. In fact, so important that when Jesus' disciples come to him and say, hey, teach us to pray. As recorded in Luke, Jesus goes right here. said, this is how you pray. This is how you pray. Never should this prayer lose its importance. Never. This is both a proclamation and a promise. Did you hear that in the Lord's Prayer? A proclamation of what is, the here and now, and what is to come. And what is to come. Love that. All right, you can go to slide two. The piece you can't read underneath that title, going back to my disclaimer or warning around Kingdom Come, is very important. What Reggie McNeil's book is entitled is Kingdom Come, Giving Up Our Obsession with Fixing the Church and What We Should Do Next. And I just want to submit to you and appeal to you to give this some thought this week. And from this point forward, as we consider what is it that the Lord has in store for Fourth Avenue, ponder that, meditate on it, pray about it, and pray with wide open eyes. Don't be limited by your frame of reference. It's interesting how human beings are. We all are. We get conditioned by what we know. And what we know can blind us. It can blind us. I pray we'll be a people that see God's work in a much broader way than we have in the past. Well, we've been trying to fix for a lot of years the church, haven't we? In fact, I read an interesting article as I was studying for this. There have been five documented movements in the church Movements, significant movements in the church in the last 100 years. That's one movement per 20 years, if you do the math. And it actually breaks down about that way, which is interesting. You know what's interesting about that? Most of those movements reflect the, listen to this carefully, culture. Not the creator of the culture. Do I need to say that again? I'll do it. Most of the movements reflect the culture, not the creator of the culture, God forbid, that we should be shaped by culture, but by the word of God. Interesting. So how's it going? You're probably asking, how's all those movements, how are we doing? Let me give you a couple of stats real quick. I won't bore you. Hopefully this will wake you up. It did me. 
despite all those movements, 20%, one in every five, would say they are non-affiliated with the church today. Oh, but it's going to get better because all these movements are just finally starting to have their effect, right? Let me talk to you about millennials. One in every three millennials say they're not affiliated. 33% are not affiliated with the institutional church. Oh, there's lots of reasons, but the stats are the stats. The stats are the stats. And Reggie McNeil kind of goes to this place of saying, let's not be so obsessed with fixing our church. We're missing the opportunity to meet people where they are, with who they are, because we have a limited frame of reference and perspective. He would say, and I've come to understand this better, the kingdom is the center of God's plan, not the church. You know, this should be easy for us. You're probably sitting getting a little uncomfortable. I told you, remember the warning or the disclaimer? I hope you hold on to that. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. This should not be difficult for us. For anybody that grew up in the Church of Christ in particular, we are a movement. You understand that, right? Restoration, Second Awakening, there's all kinds of words for it back in the 1800s. And we're a movement that came out of, guess what? Listen to this. I want you to think about this. No one's better positioned to embrace this kingdom-centric thinking than us. It's how we came into being. A group of Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians that said enough with the creeds. Let's unify for the sake of the kingdom of God around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's it? That's it. I love to hear Albert Lemons pray. Whenever we meet as shepherds with other denominations, other folks, he'll always call us to the center of the room. He'll have us hold hands, pre-COVID, hold hands, and he'll say, I want to pray this before we say one word tonight, and that is, despite all of our differences, we are unified in this kingdom work that God has sent us out to do, called us to, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. Well, that simplifies everything. I think that's the way it was supposed to be. That's simple. Our call, I believe, is to realign our theology and our practice with the primary storyline of the kingdom, partnering with God in his redemptive mission in this world. That's what I think. In fact, the word church, interestingly enough, only comes up three times in all the Gospels. And it's referred to with this Greek word called ekklesia, ekklesia. And it's an interesting word. It gets translated church. But listen what it really means. It means stewardship of community or assembly of people. Do you hear that? It doesn't mean building. It doesn't, it's not an it. Three times. Ecclesia, all three times in the Gospels. Always as a stewardship of community. Let me have you consider a, ooh, yeah, okay. A very real example of what it could look like. 
Now, I had to 1038 and I'm at 1040. Did we start a little late? Do I get one or two more minutes? <sighs> I hope so. Oh, boy, it's going to be a long morning. Oh, I'm never going to get up here again. That's for sure. I'm not going to read you that story. Let me talk to you about how it manifests itself. If you want to see a good story, if you want to really see something lived out this way, go read the, the history of the Salvation Army. William Booth. 1852, he says, no more church pulpit stuff, okay? I got to get out there and meet the prostitutes. I got to get out there and meet the drunks. I got to get out there and meet, I got to get out there. I got to meet the people where they are. You know what happens? A movement happens, and you know the rest of the story there. I'm not endorsing anything. I'm just suggesting when you open your eyes that widely, incredible things can happen. So the king's character, the king, King Jesus' character shapes our expressions with his intentions, and that's how it's manifested in this world, through goodness and faithfulness, through justice and love. The greatest of these is love. Sound familiar to you? They should. Fruits of the Spirit, remember that? Paul writes about them in Galatians. Oh, it sounds good, you say, but can you be a little more specific, Bill? Because I've heard all of those for my whole life. Let me be more specific and look no further than Jesus, if you want the example. Jesus starts with obedience and surrender. Where did they find him when mom and dad were looking for him? In the temple. Why? Because he was about his father's business, always. Completely obedient to the point of surrender in his own will. That's where it starts. And then it moves into this idea of servanthood. Paul says in Philippians, in his very nature he was equal with God, but Jesus did not take advantage of that fact. Instead, he made himself nothing. He did this by taking on the nature of a servant. When we are obedient to the point of surrender, we can't help but serve well. We can't. We're in a posture of humility that reminds us of who we are and whose we are. And it's no longer dependent on us because we've surrendered it all. And so we serve well. And out of that comes the manifestation, and that is the sower. Jesus taught us to be a sower. We go over that parable so quickly, and we're so interested in how the seeds took place or didn't take place or didn't grow. Remember that? But I would say this to you. Jesus was giving us a parable that said this. Sow indiscriminately. Don't worry about it. Go out and tell the good news. Do you know how valuable seed was at that time? You want to do context? You would not waste seed in Jesus' time. You'd only put it on fertile ground. You'd be very careful. And what Jesus is teaching us here is there is a whole world that needs to know who I am. And because of that, sow it. Sow it with your very lives. Wow. So interesting, isn't it? All right, I'm fast forwarding. I got it. I feel like a hook is going to come out at any time. Or is Mark moving yet? Where is he? Ugh. Well, I'm not feeling too good about myself right now, Bill. And I kind of come to church to get a little pick-me-upper. You know, I kind of like to go back and, you know, I want to feel really good. Let me get a little more personal then, okay? So I've talked about what the kingdom is. I talked about the manifestation through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, did you notice? Not our gifts. Goodness and faithfulness, justice and love, mercy are not ours. They're activated by the Spirit within us. When we're in the right posture, do you hear that? This isn't about us. It's not about us. Well, I don't like to hear that. So let me give you a little bit of encouragement, okay? Let me give you a little bit of encouragement, personally. 
See if you recognize some of these. As we move from the practical to the personal, some of you might relate to this. Here's what kingdom looks like. Sharing an expansive Christmas-like display with the community to raise funds for the youth of the community. An after-school vocational skills program in a drug and crime-infested neighborhood intended to equip kids with life skills. A backpack meal plan sponsored by a local food pantry. An art auction. How about a congregation adopting a couple of boys? To love and equip them and show them Jesus and who Jesus is. Wow. Pretty profound. What do they all have in common? I believe this is what the kingdom of God is. Living a life as God intends it to be. I believe it's in joining him in his redemptive mission in the world. I believe it's more than just phraseology. It's about our very lives and how we obey. Complete obedience to the point of surrender. Left with no option but that. Well, this is going to take a little bit of a change. And I'll end on this. We're not going to be able to think like our old local church-centric thinking has allowed us to. See if you recognize some of these. Where our scorecard for success is based on activities led by the church, the attendance numbers that we record each week, and our contribution. All very important, but not measures of success. Where our evaluation is based on the strength and the quality of our programming. Boy, they got some good programs over there. We have some good programs because we speak the word of God. Because we live out Jesus. That's a good program. That's a really good program. How about a hyper-focus on the mechanics of doing it well? I don't know if I like those songs that were selected this week, you know. A little too many old ones, maybe some too many new ones. You know how this goes, right? What I'm not doing is condemning. I'm actually speaking into my very own fleshly desires. I didn't like the way that went. I'm not sure I liked what he had to say today. If it was rooted in the word of God, and it called us back to the king, shifts are required, but I think it's worth it. We need churches that are dedicated to people, helping people, helping people, meeting them where they are, to equip them to serve out their calling, their mission in this world. And in far too many cases, I think we have a keep them coming mentality. I'll speak for myself, not for you. I get hyper-focused on the numbers and I lose sight of what's really important. I'm convinced that Jesus did not establish ecclesia to start a new religion called Christianity. Rather, he established ecclesia, this stewardship of community, this assembly of people as an expression of the kingdom for the people of God, you and I, to partner with. Remember, the kingdom is the show, the king, Jesus is its star, and our lives, our lives are the story. Hope you don't feel insignificant now. Your very lives, God is authoring as an expression of his kingdom.
used a really great analogy in his book of the church being an airport. I thought that was interesting. Nobody really goes to the airport as a destination. And I think the church is a lot like that. People come to celebrate. People come to be equipped, to join each other. But the real point of that analogy is the destination. And I believe we've been called as a people at 4th Avenue to be kingdom-centric, to be kingdom-minded, and to be kingdom-living in every aspect. All right, I'm going to read this to you as I close. Sorry, took it a little long. I apologize. Time management, obviously, is not my best attribute. Um, let me read this phrase to you real quick and see if it's changed for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. A proclamation and a promise. May God be with you. May he make his face shine upon you. And may he bless you as kingdom workers. That is our charter.